Old Testament this morning to the book of 1 Kings, and we're going to be reading from chapter 18 in just a moment. So 1 Kings chapter 18. In 1 Kings chapter 17, during the reign of King Ahab, Elijah had called for a drought uh, for three years. 1 Kings 17 and 2, then the, sorry, 1 Kings 17 and 1, then Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. That was a very powerful statement of faith uh, that uh, Elijah made to Ahab. And immediately after that, the Lord told him to go and to dwell by the brook Kerith. And there he had commanded the ravens to feed him. And so he duly did that and stayed there for a while until the brook dried up. And then God came again and told him now to go to Zarephath, uh, for there he had commanded a widow woman uh, to feed him and to look after him, uh, which he did. And then in the third year uh, of the drought, uh, then God told him to go and to uh, confront Ahab. And that when he had done that, then the rains would come. And so by the time you come into 1 Kings chapter 18, that's when the great confrontation takes place on Mount Carmel between Ahab and the prophets of Baal. Uh, which he utterly destroyed. And then he went to Ahab, and that brings us to 1 Kings 18, verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground, put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And so he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. And it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And so he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. That happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came, to upon, came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I want to talk to you this morning about the power of persistence. The power of persistence. <coughs> Notice here that Elijah's servant had to climb the mountain seven times. Seven times before he was able to see the cloud the size of a man's hand. This young servant would have to learn the power of persistence. Seven times he would have to trudge up that hill. Seven times he would have to believe the word of the prophet Seven times he would have to fight against the inclination to disbelieve. But he had to go up seven times. Elijah, there's nothing to see. I can imagine hearing him say that. There's nothing to see. Go up again. 
But Elijah, I have gone several times. In fact, I have gone six times. And I can assure you, there is nothing to see. There is no sign of a cloud on the horizon whatsoever. But Elijah, I could imagine him saying, trust me. Be patient. Be persistent. And so as he was climbing up the seventh time, I would imagine him muttering to himself, I know Elijah is a man of God, but this is just ridiculous. I've been up this mountain six times. This is the seventh time. And there's nothing. I know he's called fire down from heaven as salt with my own eyes, but he didn't have to pray seven times for that time. He prayed once and it happened. But as he climbed the seventh time, and he looked out over the horizon, I'm sure his eyes began to squint because way, way in the distance, was a tiny little cloud the size of a man's hand. And imagine he got excited and he would run down to Elijah and say, Elijah, you were right. You were absolutely right. There is a cloud. It's not very big, but there's a cloud. There's a token. There's a cloud for us. And Elijah says, go and tell Ahab. He better saddle up fast or he's not going to make it home. And sure enough, within minutes, the whole sky became black with clouds and heavy rain. There is the power of persistence. There's going to be times in our lives as believers that we're going to have to just be persistent. There will not be any evidence of what we're believing for or what we're hoping for or what we feel God has commanded us to do but we're just going to have to be persistent. And we're going to have to keep on keeping on until we see the cloud the size of a man's hand. Amen? Second Kings, Second Kings chapter 4. Here's the prophet Elisha, Elijah's successor. This is a lovely story in 2 Kings 4 verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shuman. There was a notable woman. And she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. Then she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. Let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And so it will be, whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. By the way, you budding preachers, there's a sermon for you there in that verse alone. Those four things that she provided for the prophet. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite, Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said, Say now to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And so he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Actually, she has no son and her husband is old. 
And so he said, call her. And when she had called her, when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord. Man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son, and at the appointed time had come, of which Elijah had told her. And the child grew. That happened one day when he went out with his father to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And so he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees until noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon or the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. Obviously she, he didn't really know. She was kind of keeping this from him at this point. It is well, she said. In other words, everything's fine. Don't need to worry. Everything's okay. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, Shunammite woman, please run to meet her now. Say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. And if you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. The mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. And when Elisha came into the house, the young child was there the young child was lying dead on his bed. And he went in, therefore, and shut the door behind the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. And he returned and walked back and forth in the house and went up again and stretched himself out on him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she had come to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground, and she picked up her son, and she went out. Persistence. The staff didn't work. The first time he lay upon him, prayed, he revived a little bit. He went downstairs, he prayed some more, he went back up again, he lay down upon him again, he prayed again, and suddenly the little boy sneezed seven times, and he was back to life again fully. 
Even the great prophets of God have to be persistent. That reminds me, by the way, of that story of Jesus. You remember who prayed for the blind man, touched his eyes, and he said, I see men as trees walking. And he touched them again. He says, I can see all things clearly now. And so there's going to be common times in our lives where we're just going to have to be absolutely persistent. You don't need to turn to it, but in Judges 6, you remember, of course, how that the children of Israel were told by Joshua when they came to the walled city of Jericho that they were to march around the city six days, once a day. We don't really know how big Jericho was, but because it was a walled city with houses on the walls, you can be sure this was a considerable size of a city. And so they'd walk around once for six days. Then he says, on the seventh day, walk around it seven times. Now, of course, Joshua was probably out there leading the procession. Here's an 80-year-old man. And now this is the 13th time they've walked around this city. And he said, don't speak a word. Don't say anything to your neighbor as we walk around here. Complete silence other than the police, priests blowing the shofars, the ram's horns. But don't speak. I wonder why that was. Maybe he didn't want them to be negative and griping and grumbling to each other. And sometimes that's good advice, isn't it? When you can't say anything good about it, say nothing. But at the 13th time, nothing had changed. The walls were still as big and as imposing as ever they were. But at the 13th time, he said, now shout. And the priests blew the trumpets and they shouted with a great shout. And the walls fell down flat, straight. And they walked into the city but they had to march around 13 times. The power of persistence. Naaman was a great man, the Bible says. Man of great valor. Commander of the armies of the king of Syria, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out and raiding bands and taking some of the Israelites captive and a little maid was taken captive and she said to her mistress would my Lord would go to the prophet in Israel and heal him of this leprosy mistress told Naaman who told the king and the king says I'm going to write a letter to the king of Israel and I'm going to get you to go bearing great gifts and so he did that the king of Israel read the letter and he nearly died. He says, does the king of Syria think that I am God to be able to do this? He says, he's seeking a quarrel with me. This is a setup. He knows I can't do this. And when I refuse, he's going to come and make war with me. And he tore his clothes, which is a sign of sorrow and panic. And the prophet heard about it. And the prophet said, send him to me. And I'll show them there's a God in Israel. You remember what happened, how that Naaman went to the prophet in his little house, not in a palace. And the prophet didn't even come out to him. The prophet sent word with his servant. Tell him to go 
and dip seven times in the Jordan and he shall be cleansed. Well, he took a fit at that. He went ballistic when he heard that. And the Bible says he said within himself, why, I, I, I thought he would come out. He'd come out and he'd wave his, his hand over me and God would cleanse me. I thought, he thought it was going to be a whole big show for him. Here was a man was used not to taking orders, but to giving orders. Here was a man that was used to having an entourage, and there was an entourage with him. Here was a man that was used to people bowing and kneeling before him. And here's this wee prophet. He doesn't even come out and speak to him. He doesn't even open the door. He sends his sidekick out and says, go and wash in the river seven times and you'll be fine. And he was clean mad at it. And he went away in a big huff. And his servant said, you know, if he'd asked you to do a hard thing, wouldn't you have done it? Of course he would. A big macho man, of course he would. He's asked you to do something simple. Why don't you just go and do it? But the Jordan's a dirty old river. I got better rivers in Damascus than this. Just go and do it. So he went down to the dirty old river. And he waited in. I could imagine the entourage all standing watching him. Wondered that they do a countdown. <laughs> I wondered that they all saying, one. Two, three, six, seven. And sure enough, the seventh time he came up and his face was like the skin of a newborn baby. Six times was not going to be enough. It had to be persistent. You say, is that not more about obedience and faith? Yes, it's about a lot of obedience. And it's a lot of faith. And it's a lot of humility. Absolutely. But he had to be persistent. One dip wouldn't do and six dips wouldn't do. It had to be the seventh time. He had to do exactly as he was told by the word of the Lord through the prophet. And when he persisted, much to his embarrassment with all of his entourage watching him, but when he persisted and humbled himself before God, then he got a mighty miracle of God. Why? <coughs> Do we have to be persistent? Well, I'll give you a simple answer to that. Because our enemy is persistent. The devil is persistent, you know. He doesn't give up easily. In Daniel chapter 10, is that great story of how that Daniel was in prayer and he was getting all these wonderful visions, these prophetic visions this particular vision he got, he was a little bit concerned about his own people, what part they had in this. And so he set himself to fast and to pray for 21 days. He ate no pleasant food. Maybe he ate the basics, but he didn't eat any creamy clairs and stuff like that. Dainty food. This is why it's called a Daniel fast. And so for 21 days he was fasting and he was praying and he was seeking answers. And little did he know that while he was doing that, that there was a battle in the heavenlies. Because God had sent the messenger angel who appeared to Daniel. Although it doesn't say his name, more than likely it was Gabriel who is the messenger angel. And he was huge, and he was bright, 
And he had eyes like flames of fire. Scare the living daylights out of you. He appeared. And he appeared to Daniel. And he said to Daniel, From the very first day you prayed, and you set yourself to seek God, I came. And I've come for your words. But the prince of Persia withstood me. A great, malevolent, evil, demonic spirit over that area resisted the angel of God. And he says, I had to call for Michael, the warring angel, to come and fight the way through for him to get to Daniel. 21 days the battle lasted in the heavenlies. 21 days the burden of prayer and fasting was upon the servant of God. And so there was a fasting and a praying on earth. There was a battle in heaven. And then suddenly the breakthrough came. And the answer came. What if Daniel had quit on the 20th day? Hmm? There's a correlation between these two things. That's why it's written there for our admonition. To let us know there's sometimes you just can't quit and you just can't give up praying. And how often do we quit praying for someone or for something? We just give up because we're not seeing any answer. We're not seeing any change. Everything looks the same. In fact, it may even be getting worse. But after 21 days, see, that devil was persistent. He didn't want the answer to get through. He didn't want Daniel to get the knowledge that God wanted him to have. And for us to know, by the way, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, tells us about Sanballat and Geshem the Arab and Tobiah, the enemies of Nehemiah who was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. You remember how they tried to coax him to come and stop building the wall and come and talk to us in the valley of Ono? which is about 30 miles away from Jerusalem. Quit what you're doing. Come talk to us. And he says, no, I can't. I'm doing a great work. (laughs) Well, they didn't give up. Five times. Read it. Five times. They came with the same proposition. Five times they came. Let's talk in the valley of Ono. But he wouldn't give in. And he kept going on. And they rebuilt the walls. But you see, the devil that was against them was persistent. So he had to be persistent. You and I often will have to be persistent and insistent. Because that devil's just not going to give up as easy as we think he may. You remember Jesus in Luke chapter 4 facing the three temptations? And having won that battle, it says in Luke chapter 4, it says about that, it says, The devil departed until a more 
opportune time. Letting us know that he wasn't just going to stop there. He had to stop at that moment. But he would go away and he would regroup and he would rethink and he would come back another way on another day at another time. And there'd be another battle. And that, my friend, is the way he works against us. You get the victory over him today, but you can be sure down the road somewhere he's going to come back again. And sometimes you're going to have to fight him and fight him and fight him. And you're going to have to be persistent and deal with this. Second Kings chapter 13, I'm not, I'm, don't turn to this because there's several scriptures here, but in 2 Kings chapter 13, King Joash, who wasn't very good, this particular king, uh, Elisha's dying. And he knows he's dying. And he wants Elisha to bless him before he dies. And so he comes to him. My father, my father, the horse charts of Israel, the horsemen thereof. Your time's nearly up. Please bless me. <laughs> and Elisha said, okay. Get your bow and arrow. Point it out towards that window. And the old man kind of he was sick and he was dying. But he shuffled up and put his hands in his hands. He says, now let go. The arrow flew. The arrow of the Lord towards God's enemies. And then he said to Joy, he says, take your bow and arrow. He says, strike the ground. And so he took the bow and arrow and he struck the ground three times. And then he stopped. And Elisha was cross with him. And he told him in no uncertain time, he said, you should have struck at least five or six times. But now you will strike against the Syrians three times. But you should have struck five or six times until they were utterly destroyed. You see, he didn't persist. He did the least he could do. But there was much more he could have done that he didn't do. And the prophet told him he should have done it five or six times at least. He would have had many more victories. Matthew chapter 15. Turn, with this, turn to this with me, please. I'm driving home the same point over and over. I hope you're getting it. You know where I got this message, by the way? Got this message in the prayer meeting Thursday night. There was a theme on Thursday night in the prayer meeting. And as somebody was praying, the Lord dropped that scripture, that first scripture you read, right into my heart. And I was going to actually say it. And then I felt a check not to say it. And I went home. And I marked it in my Bible and I went to bed on Thursday night. About midnight as you usually do. Shouldn't have told you that. You'll be ringing me up at half eleven nights. I actually go to bed about half nine, so don't worry. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> Sally goes to bed at half nine, but I don't. <laughs> 
And I couldn't sleep. And at 3 o'clock, I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Because I thought, if I don't write this down, I'm going to forget it. And everything I've given you today that got between 3 and half 3. I wish the Lord would do that every week. It would be wonderful. <laughs> I would have a great week every week. <coughs> and it wasn't at all what I was going to preach on. But I knew it was for this morning. Because somebody needs to hear this. Somebody needs to be persistent and not to give up and to give in. And so here we are. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Son of David. But he answered her not a word. Did you ever pray and feel the Lord didn't even hear what you just prayed? There is no answer coming. Heavens are as brass. There's a stony silence. Maybe you're being tested. He answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She's a Canaanite. Even though she acknowledged me as the son of David, but she's a Canaanite. I'm not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So she's been rebuffed twice. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. <laughs> doesn't sound like the answer she was looking for, does it? In fact, it doesn't even sound very civil. But he was making a point and he was testing her. You know, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. And it wasn't that Jesus was just being rude to her for being rude sake. He was testing her. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eats the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very She could have been offended. She could have been angry. She could have said, well, you're not much of a Messiah. First of all, you don't even speak to me. Then you insult me. But she didn't. She worshipped him. And she cried out to him. The reason why I'm telling you is because sometimes we get offended with God. Now, we don't like to admit that. Lots of times people stop coming to church 
because he said, so-and-so offended me. And maybe they did. Or I was very, very badly treated, and maybe they were. But instead of going somewhere else, they just stopped going anywhere. Because in their heart of hearts, they feel God has offended them. God, you let me die. God, you let me die. I didn't deserve that. And you let that happen to me. And we get offended with God. Well, this woman was tested. But she worshipped. And she cried out to him. Woman, great is your faith. <laughs> you just wouldn't let go. And you wouldn't allow any offense to stop you. You kept on until you got the answer. See, this is the power of persistence, isn't it? Luke chapter 11, we'll finish with this. This little parable that Jesus speaks to his disciples comes on the, the heels of a request from them at the beginning of chapter 11, Lord, teach us to pray. <clears throat> and so he shares with them the model prayer, our Father which art in heaven. But then he goes on to give this little parable to reinforce this. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend... Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. So there's three friends here. This man had two friends. One had come at midnight, and one he was going to go to at midnight. Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. My oriental hospitality is a big thing. All right, John? <laughs> Happens to the best of us. Could happen to the bishop, couldn't it? <laughs> and so, oriental uh, hospitality is a big, big thing. And for this man to arrive, he said, well, it was a very late hour, but generally people traveled at evening time out of the heat of the sun. So there's nothing unusual in that. And so he arrived hungry, tired, looking hospitality, and this dear man hadn't got it. For some reason or other, he had no bread, he had no food, and he thought, well, I can't be embarrassed, I guess I'd go to my other friend, and I'll ask him. And so he goes to his other friend again at midnight, and I ask him about some food. So what did he say? Verse 7, and he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. Hmm. This is a great friend, isn't it? And this really was kind of rid of this man. And even though it was late, and even though he was in bed, and even though it was a small house, and probably all slept in the one room, and for him to get up, maybe have to light a lamp or open a door or something, it was maybe going to awaken his children. And it was... Did you ever... You're just in bed and you're just asleep and the telephone goes, and you're like, who in the world is that at this time of night? 
You're just getting into a sleep. Well, listen, this man was just into a nice sound sleeping. And he looks out, and there it was his friend. Clear off, he said. <laughs> Clear off. I'm in bed. I'm tired. I've got my kids here. Go away. But I want some bread. But he didn't want to be bothered, did he? And he basically just told him to get lost. Basically, that's what it was. Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. The old King James says, because of his importunity. And the word means shamelessness. This man had no embarrassment at all about rapping the door of his friend at midnight and asking him for some lows. And even though the man told him to get lost, it just was like water of a duck's back. He didn't care. He had a friend had come to him and he had known to give him to eat and he had to get something somewhere. And so he persisted without any embarrassment whatsoever. Give me some bread. And so rather than a whole big argument and waking up the whole house, the boy thought, I better give him something just to get rid of him. I'll just get rid of him. I'll just give it to him. He'll clear off then. Now, here's the lesson. If, if that so-called friend if he would give him bread, not because he's his friend, but just he can't be bothered anymore, he just would rid of him. If he would do it for that reason, how much more would God who loves us and who cares for us and who is our best friend, how much more would he freely give us? And that's why then Jesus went on to say, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. And the way that it's written in the context and the grammar of it is persistently, at, persistently asking. Some people say you only ask God once and then if you ask anymore you're not in faith. Well, Jesus is saying the opposite here. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, to him who knocks it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, natural people, with all of your faults and your failings, just like this man he's just spoken about, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? One Gospel says, gives the good things of the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Jesus is teaching persistence in prayer. They ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And now he's teaching them persistence in prayer. I think it's Luke 18, what I'll turn to is that the little woman who was importune, who was persistent, and again, teaching about persistence in prayer. The power of persistence. There's going to be some things, there's going to be some people in our lives that we're going to have to persist with and persist for. 
There's going to be some dreams, there's going to be some visions, there's going to be some things God wants us to do. And as long as it is God wants us to do it, then we must persist until it is done. Amen? There's going to be some family members that you're going to have to pray for until your dying breath. And you may not even see them come to the kingdom. But you're going to pray until the day you die for those loved ones. My wee mother saw her brother come into the kingdom and she didn't even know because by that time her dementia had set and she didn't even know she had a brother. But she prayed for him for years and years and years. And I led him to the Lord on his deathbed. And he got saved that night. I couldn't even tell my mother because she didn't even know she had a brother. But all of those prayers for all of those years, all of that persistence in prayer, it paid off in the end, didn't it? <laughs> what are you being persistent about? Who are you being persistent for? Keep on keeping on. Keep on knocking. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Don't give up and get the answer. Get the breakthrough that you need in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.